In a moment, I'll ask you to stand as I read from Jonah, but I wanted to tell you first a story. Uh, Christine and I graduated from the great Bryan College about 30 years ago, this time of year. Brian, just up the road from us. And about 23 years ago, when I was a youth pastor in Pensacola, Florida, I invited the president of Bryan College, who at that time was Dr. Bill Brown, to come speak at the church where I was serving. That Sunday morning, all of the adults and students, children of the church, were gathered together in one place. My heroes speak. And before Dr. Brown began his message, he said, he said, I'm so glad that Jimmy invited me here to speak with you this morning. You know, back at Bryan College, we still use Jimmy as an example. A bad example, but an example nonetheless. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Congregation laughed. They had some good fun at my expense. The Holy Spirit included the book of Jonah in the Bible to use Jonah as an example. And I used to think that God intended to use Jonah as a bad example. But I don't believe that anymore. I used to think he's obviously a bad example, right? I mean, he was a prophet of God who deserted God, denied God. That's not good. And even when God gave him a second opportunity to obey, he he became one of the, and he became one of the most successful evangelists ever. Jonah ran off and had a pity party and became the pouty little prophet, was angry at God. That's a bad example, right? But think about this. How did we get Jonah's story? How did we get Jonah's story? When you read this story, you can feel the boat rock under your feet as the waves are crashing and you can feel the rain pelting your face in the storm on that boat that night. You can hear the sailors screaming in terror as they're jettisoning, jettisoning cargo to try to save the ship. You can smell the stench of the fish vomit that Jonah was soaked in after that fish spit him out on the shore. Your five senses are overwhelmed at the sights and sounds of that huge pagan city called Nineveh. You can feel even the hot desert wind that beat down on Jonah as he sat in his hot anger against God. All of those colorful details had to have come from Jonah himself. So either Jonah wrote this book himself, or he reported the story to someone who wrote it down. Why? Why, why? why would Jonah be willing to look so bad to so many for generations to come? Why would he do that? Because Jonah wanted to be an example. Not a bad example of a believer who just can't get his act together. Jonah wanted to be a good example of a believer who knows he is a great sinner who has a gracious God. Jonah wants us to look back with him at his story and get glorious glimpses of the grace of God, which we will do over six sermons 
glimpse after glimpse after glimpse of the glorious grace of God in the life of a broken man. And that gives me hope. The late Jack Miller used to say, cheer up, you're worse than you think. But then he would quickly follow it up with, cheer up, God's grace is so much greater than you can imagine. And this is what Jonah's story will tell us about us. Cheer up, you're worse than you think. (laughs) But it will also tell us this about God. Cheer up, God's grace is so much greater than you can imagine. So this morning, our first glimpse of God's grace will be a glimpse of God's grace in a runaway. Would you stand with me for the reading of this very short passage from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, even as your word comes to us now, would you help our hearts not to flee, to run away from what you would have to say to us? Because if we'll look, if we'll listen, we'll get glimpses of you and your grace And it will be so good. So help us now in this beautiful place to focus and to hear your voice through the story of Jonah. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I stopped by my insurance agent's office on Friday to get some information, and I struck up a conversation with an elderly gentleman who was there. When he found out that I was a pastor, he proceeded to tell us all a few stories about church people and church pastors who had run off to have an affair with people in the church choir. Why he felt that was necessary, I don't know, but he told us several of those stories. After a couple of these stories, he he turned to say something to me, and I put up my hands, I said, hey, we don't have a choir. When I told that story to Christine yesterday, she looked at me and she said, look, I don't care if we have a choir or not. If you run off with anybody, I'm done. And I said, yes, ma'am, I understand. Don't worry, we're good. I ain't running out with nobody. All of us have deal breakers in relationships, don't we? I'm with you, but if you... I'm done. I'm out of here. We've all got those lines that we just won't cross. Jonah's story starts with one of those deal-breaker moments. You see, Jonah and God had a good thing going. They had a, a great relationship. Sinclair Ferguson 
says that as a prophet in Israel, Jonah was in a place and position of privilege. Jonah knew the privilege of being God's servant and knowing God's secret. One of Jonah's uh, prophet friends, Amos, described being a prophet this way. He said, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. I mean, that's, that's a pretty sweet place to be. To be a servant of God who is in on his secrets and hears God's voice. But Jonah also knew the privilege of success and a good reputation as a prophet. The only other Old Testament mention of Jonah is in 2 Kings 14, in just a couple of verses. It was uh, during the days when the kingdom was divided between the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel, and uh, Jeroboam II was the king of the northern kingdom. And this is where Jonah served in the northern kingdom. Jonah was uh, from a place called Gath-Hefer, which was actually just north of Nazareth, where Jesus was from, in the area of Galilee. And so this is where Jonah was, and this is what 2 Kings tells us, that Jeroboam restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. So Jonah had prophesied that God would restore the borders of Israel. He goes on, For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. God has made Israel safe and secure, and Jonah was the guy who got to share the good news that that was going to happen. His approval ratings in Israel just went off the charts. You can imagine how, how much he was honored in Israel because of this. Jonah's living the dream, y'all. He's got a life is good sticker on the back of his donkey. His, rep, his, his reputation in the community is solid. His relationship with God is strong. Things are going well. And we read today that the word of the Lord came to Jonah again. And you can imagine Jonah saying, hmm, all right, Lord, what you got for me next? We've been doing well so far. What good, do, what good news do you have for your people this time? I'm ready to tell it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Wait, wait, what? Nineveh? The, the great city in Assyria? where our enemies live, the reputation of these people is that they were cruel, vicious, mean, cold, heartless. They would skin people alive. You want me to what? You heard me, Jonah. Get up from your privileged place of security and safety and glory and go. 500 miles to Nineveh 
to your enemies, and I want you to proclaim my message to them. That was a deal breaker for Jonah. Lord, I'm glad you called me to be your servant, to know and tell others the secrets of your word, and I'm grateful for the grace you've shown me and the blessings of safety and security and success, but you can't call me to this. I'm done. I'm out of here. God said, arise and go 500 miles to Nineveh, but Jonah rose to flee, to run 2,500 miles in the opposite direction to Tarshish. That's how far he was planning to go. Now, let's not be too hard on old Jonah, okay? God was asking a lot of him. Right? God was asking a whole lot of him. And perhaps he was asking more of Jonah than he'd ever asked before. So before we look down on Jonah, let's, let's look in at ourselves. And let me ask us, do you and I have any deal breakers with God? Sure, maybe God hasn't called you to leave your home and go 500 miles away to another place, but has he called you to go what seems like 500 miles out of your comfort zone? Is there a person or a people group that God has called you to love that you frankly refuse to love? Who is your Nineveh? Who is my Nineveh? Is it someone whose skin is another color? Someone who comes from another culture? Is it someone from another generation? Another denomination? Is it someone who is vaccinated or someone who won't get vaccinated? We've gone from, from preaching to meddling, haven't we? Is it folks who vote the way you do or who don't? Who's your Nineveh? Someone in your family? Someone in your church? Someone in your neighborhood? Somebody at work? That kid at school? God has called all of us to have his heart for people and people groups we don't like and we don't want to serve. Who are they for you? Or, or maybe it's a different kind of calling. Has God called you out of your safety and security and comfort into a season of physical or relational suffering and pain? Surely that's what Jonah was going to face with the calling he received from God. So are, are any of these deal breakers for you? Jesus said, if anyone, who, if anyone would follow me and be my disciple, he or she must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. What kind of self-denial would feel like a deal breaker to you? What cross is Jesus asking you to carry that makes you want to run from him, not follow him? 
And yeah, maybe you're not running off with somebody in the choir, but are you running away from your bridegroom, Jesus? Jonah is telling us his story because he wants us to know. He wants us to know that no matter how long or how much we've known God, every one of us is capable of refusing to listen to God's word like Jonah did. And every one of us, no matter how long we've known him, how deeply we know him, is capable of trying to run and escape from the presence of God like Jonah did. And we look at Jonah and we say, that's so silly. How do you run from the presence of God? I do it all the time. Just ignore the presence of God. That's one way to start. But here's what struck me as I, I've pondered Jonah's story. Jonah knew the heart of God. But he didn't have the heart of God for people, and he didn't believe the heart of God for himself. Let me explain what I, mean, what I mean. Jonah knew the heart of God. Later, when we get to the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, the story says this. When God saw what they did, how the Ninevites responded and repented, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Here's your answer. Why did he do it? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, Jonah knew the heart of God, but this story is in the Bible to show us that knowing the heart of God is not enough. It's not less than knowing the heart of God. It's not less than knowing that God is gracious and merciful slow to anger, steadfast in love, forgiving. But there's more. Because you see, Jonah didn't, though he knew the heart of God, he didn't have the heart of God for people who weren't like him. Now, many commentators will point out that Jonah was, was happy for God to be gracious and merciful and slow to anger and steadfast in love and forgiving to him and to Israel. Go God, that's great. But he wasn't happy for God to do that for other people, particularly his enemies. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, are, are we reading Jonah's story or Jimmy here? <laughs> or yours? I mean, I'm happy to be loved by God and to share his love with people like me, and especially with people who like me. And I'm happy to be loved by God when God doesn't call me out of my comfort zone. But there's, there's something deeper going on under the surface of Jonah's soul. 
and perhaps mine and yours too. Jonah's biggest problem is not knowing God's heart. And it's not that he doesn't have God's heart. There's a deeper problem. Jonah's biggest problem was knowing God's heart, but not believing God's heart for himself. Think about Adam and Eve. Again, like Adam and Eve, Jonah was focused on only one difficult command rather than on the heart of his good and gracious God who loved him and always had his good at heart. Think about this. Jonah's deal breaker was one command that God gave. A hard one, a difficult one, yes. But just like Adam and Eve, he was so focused on that one command and not thinking about the gracious, good, and loving, and forgiving heart of God that he knew, he couldn't do it. When I thought about that this week, it reminded me of these words from Sinclair Ferguson, who, who said that the lie of the serpent to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was an assault on both God's generosity and his integrity. Neither God's character nor his words were to be trusted, the devil said. This, in fact, is the lie that sinners have believed ever since, the lie of the not to be trusted because he does not love me false father. And see, this is, this is what Jonah was wrestling with. Rather than believing the heart of God that he knew, he was believing the lie of the not to be trusted because he does not love me, false father. God, if you love me, there's no way you would call me to do this. How, how is this possible? Because if Jonah trusted that the heart of God was gracious, merciful, slow to anger, steadfast in love and forgiving, and that it was that for him, he would have obeyed God's command. He would have obeyed it with trembling, yes, but with trust. If he was that convinced and that trusting of the heart of God that he knew, he would have obeyed. Trembling, but trusting. My friend Steve says, if we were in our right minds, the most logical thing to do would be to do whatever God asks us to do. <laughs> if we really believe God's heart toward us was good and gracious, the most logical thing to do would be to do whatever he asks us to do because we know that whatever he asks us to do comes from a heart of love and a heart that is good toward us and wants good for us. Ah, but I don't trust the heart of God that way. And I'm guessing that some of you don't either. Jonah didn't trust the heart of God. He didn't trust that God's command to deny himself was coming from the greatest love anyone ever had for him. That the command to deny himself was aimed at Jonah's greatest good. Not just the good of Nineveh, but Jonah's too. So I'm left with this question. How can we not only know 
but trust that when God calls us out of safety and security and into sacrifice, how can we know that at that point, at that deal-breaking point, he really loves us? It's because Jesus is the true and better Jonah. Jonah snubbed God's call to arise from his place of privilege and go to God's enemies and call out against them for their sake. But Jesus submitted to God's call, not counting his place of privilege as something to hold on to, but he took on the form of a suffering servant in human flesh in order to go to his enemies, that's all of us, not just facing the possibility of dying, but planning to die, even death on a cross. And Jesus did not come to call out against his enemies to condemn them, condemn them, but to call out for them to come to him. In fact, more shocking, Jesus became the one whom God was against in his enemy's place so that now in him they could forever be the ones that God is for. Do you see it? Humans in their sin run away from God, but God in his grace put on humanity to run after sinners. That's the kind of heart I can trust. Ever read the runaway bunny to your children? Well, we'll finish with story time, okay? I'll read it to you. How many of you never heard the runaway bunny? Three of you. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you. For you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. There she's fishing for him. If you become a fisherman, said the little bunny, I will become a rock on the mountain high above you. If you become a rock on the mountain high above me, said his mother, I will be a mountain climber and I will climb to where you are. If you become a mountain climber, said the little bunny, I will be a crocus in a hidden garden. If you become a crocus in a hidden garden, said his mother, I will be a gardener and I will find you. If you are a gardener and find me, said the little bunny, I will be a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I will be a tree that you come home to. If you become a tree, said the little bunny, I will become a little sailboat and I will sail away from you. If you become a sailboat and sail away from me, said his mother, I will become the wind and blow you where I want you to go. If you become the wind and blow me, said the little bunny, I will join a circus and fly away on the flying trapeze. 
If you go flying on a flying trapeze, said his mother, I will be a tightrope walker and I will walk across the air to you. If you become a tightrope walker and walk across the air, said the bunny, I will become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, said the mother bunny, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Shucks, said the bunny. I might as well just stay where I am and be your little bunny. And so he did. Have a carrot, said the mother bunny. Friends, ever since the Garden of Eden, God's people have been run away. Running away from his word, running away from his presence. At a tree, they did not trust their father's heart and did not submit to their calling. And so they fell under God's curse. On a tree, Jesus trusted his father's heart and submitted to history's most difficult calling. It became a curse for his people. This is why when we come to this table week after week to find grace in the body and blood of the God who runs after runaways, we know that the body and blood of Jesus preaches good news to us. In their sin, rebels run away from him, but in their skin, he runs after them. Thanks be to God. You can trust, Jimmy, you can trust Mountain Fellowship. You can trust that the God who calls you to take up your cross and follow him has already taken up your cross to run after you. So you can run away, little buddy. You can just keep running away. Or you can come home and enjoy his embrace and eat at his table. Father, thank you for your love for runaways like us. And we thank you that you are a running God. You don't run away from us, but to us. And Jesus is the ultimate proof that that's the kind of heart you have for us, even when we're running away. Thank you. Thank you. Help us to trust your heart. Help us to worship you with all we are and help all of us if we're if we're at Joppa getting on a boat right now heading to Tarshish would you would you come after us and call us home tell us to sit at the table and eat we ask these things in the name of Jesus amen